0: The Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome.
1: Touchdown!
0: Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You cannot lose games in the NFL and
1: still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player.
2: Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. Now, this are, these are rhetorical
3: questions, because you know I told you, and you know I'm right.
2: Analytics don't work no, at work all. all. It's I just a
1: crap to some nothing. people who were really smart, made up and tried to get in the game, because they had no talent. Now, I don't know what happened, but for me, it's a lack of leadership on Geno Smith's part that he would put himself in arms' way to
0: get sucker punch. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown 538's podcast about the week in sports narratives. I'm Chad Matlin, editor at Five Thirty Eight. Full studio today, guys. We got four of us around the table. It's to packed. my far right, Kate Fagan.
2: Hi, Chad. Hi, Kate. Hi.
0: Are you still in columnist at USPNW?
2: I am. Look at that. Yes. Neil
0: Payne. Hey, are Chad. You still a sports writer, Five Thirty Eight. You tell me. To my <laughs> knowledge, yes. And to my left, the one and only Allison McCann from the top of the show. Hello, Allison. Hey, John. Allison, individual journalist at 538. She's here to help us talk about football, which is soccer, because today we are all football on the show. We're going to talk about the state of analytics in club soccer, uh, and we'll do a preview of the English Premier League season. That is already two weekends in, brimming with intrigue. Um, and then we're going to talk about a new technology that's going to bring stat casty tracking to to the NFL and to how players move on the field. But first, let's jump in to our first segment, the first hot take of the week. It's a flashback hot take, and it flashes back to this show just last week. <laughs> who scored is sort of the Ken Palm of soccer, if you'll remember back to our college basketball days. Of course. Ken Palm was our source. patron saint of college basketball, and who scored is by far my favorite soccer analytics site. Like- this is a first. That is all of are you, us, are you, and especially me. How do you feel? How I feel, you feel burned. <laughs> I feel as though the hot take burned my. It's it's self arson. Is that is that possible? Self immolation. Yeah. Um, so that was me last week oh. waxing on about how WhoScored dot is such a great resource for soccer statistics.
3: <laughs> I led you to the fire though, Chad. I, I, Allison, came in I here. jumped
0: in on my own volition. Don't don't try and take the yeah. one for me. So, Allison... You are here to explain how wrong I was with the help of a couple listeners. Take us through why my little Who Scored riff was so inappropriate.
3: Yeah, so last week uh, I came in at the end of the show with the significant digit um, to 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 bring in these who scored ratings for premier league players. And a lot of people wrote in to say that, Hey, maybe who scored isn't that great. Um, they're really not transparent in how they're, uh, assigning these ratings, like what they're weighting. Um, our friend at Grantland, Mike Goodman pointed out that, you know, people have done a lot of work to try and replicate who scored ratings and have been unable to, um, and that they seem to be just some sort of weighted average of counting stats. And, You know, I think that the problem with who scored gets at a much larger issue, which is sort of that basic statistical analysis in soccer uh, is a little bit harder. I mean, I don't want to use that as like a crutch for who scored or for Chad's hot take. But I do think (laughs) soccer is a little bit different in that it's not easy to assign like a negative and a positive In other sports, um, I think taking like a midfielder, for example, you have one-on-one team. We had this example of a midfielder making a lot of tackles and the midfielder on another team that's not making a lot of tackles, you know, is one doing good and the other's doing bad. Like maybe the one that's not having to tackle is in better positioning, is playing on a team that passes and doesn't have to tackle as much. So they're, I don't know, it is a little more difficult, I think, to just to do these sort of basic stats and um, which, you know, doesn't doesn't give any uh, sort of leeway to who scored and what they're doing. They need to let us know what, what's going on over there in that black box, as uh, Mike Goodman called it. First, we need to
2: set, like, a visual for the listeners about Chad over here. Sort of, like, shoulders slumped and <laughs> eyes cast downward as he listened to that hot take. I
0: can't even respond to that to that accurate description of how I'm feeling because <laughs> I'm feeling so
2: bad. But I wonder if some of this, um, Neil, you'll, maybe you can chime in, too, on, on it is because there's so few goals scored and so little scoring in soccer that we have a hard time knowing who's doing what. I know, even as a, initially being a very casual observer of, I'm sorry, football, I sometimes did not even know who played well and who didn't play well when you first starting started watch, watching the game. And then fast forward eight years, and not, you know now I can watch a tackle and know instantly whether it's going to be a yellow card or not. I mean, things that obviously when you watch soccer, you, you start to learn. That the same stuff doesn't necessarily happen in football or basketball because we have these very concrete ways of saying you score a basket, that's a good thing. You know, you complete a pass, that's a good thing. In soccer, And you do that a lot of times you do it in a so game. In times. a lot of games. Yeah. And in soccer, like you can play phenomenally and not have an assist or a goal. And you could be on a team that like isn't that physical so you won't make that many tackles. You could play awesome and actually have no statistical analysis whatsoever
4: yeah you could be totally invisible to the score sheet which i think uh like you said it speaks to the problem of just not that many events happening and not that many events that get tracked at least happening and uh so the problem with the who scored stats uh as mike pointed out in an in, in email that he wrote to us is that a lot of this stuff is really like context you know dependent and uh the who scored stats do seem to really just take like you know did you do this thing is this thing positive okay let's like add that to your rating and a lot of it is also just dependent on goals like if you're on the pitch and a goal gets scored and and if you were somehow involved in it with like an assist uh, or were the scorer himself especially then you get like a crazy high who scored rating but uh the the all of the actions that kind of led to that goal don't necessarily get credited as much. And there doesn't seem to be any way to actually make that happen.
0: So I also want to credit Tom Warville of the Analytics FC podcast who also wrote us in about this. It seems to me like there, there is this this gap between what we want to know and what we, what we maybe can know because of all this goal and basically that there aren't any outcomes in soccer beyond a very small uh, small thing, which is I guess tackles and and goals probably or possession as well. And so I I wonder what we as fans are supposed to do. Do we just and we're going to talk about this later on with, with a guess. Do we just internalize the unknowability of soccer or do we keep pushing? I mean, there's a company Opta that tracks a lot of soccer um, uh, soccer stats through movement of players on the field and mm-hmm. whatever else. And so do we settle because it's imperfect and we just sort of keep soccer as this perfect uh, as this sort of untouchable. A noble mystery, or do we keep? Or does who scored somehow get gets closer because having a bad stat gets us closer to a good stat?
2: And I wonder, having knowing, we don't know how they're coming up with their results.
4: Play ratings, right?
2: Do we uh, we assume that it's flawed because they won't reveal it, or do we think they're onto some?
4: Well, I think one of the ways that they that Mike said that it was not a very good stat is that it doesn't really seem to be correlated with how well the team actually plays or, or that it's not correlated with how well they'll play in the future. So if you get a lot of guys who are good at who scored ratings, you would think, Oh my God, my team is stacked, but then they wouldn't perform like you would expect. So I think that's kind of what he's talking about is that they're not really correlated with the quality of the team.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm, i totally agree with this. A lot of people had written in too that. A lot of like the soccer blogger community are doing some good stuff. Um, Goal impact, American soccer analysis, are they're doing more MLS work? So I do think there are these little niche pockets mm-hmm. of people trying to make models and ratings, and maybe they're not all just as uniform. And we don't have this great like Elo rating that we do for that we've made for NBA and NFL. And I think something that's so great that Neil uh, does well at five thirty eight is always make his stuff, you know, replicable and saying I did this and I did this and it gave me this and um, a a sig dig teaser you know he gives you two options for how you could you know rate this guy as this position or this position depending on what you did Mm -hmm. so uh that would say that's my issue with who scored is that we are not given any options because we don't know what's going in
0: okay so let's leave it there for now um because we're gonna talk more about soccer and about soccer stats with our guest uh in just a few minutes and so just just, just holster all those questions, guys. I see you're all, all chomping at the bit. Allison McCann, thanks, as always, for coming by. You're going to be back in like 30 minutes for a significant digit. I'll be back. Okay. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. All right. Let's move on. Now that we know what not to pay attention to in the world of soccer analytics, let's bring in a guest to help know what is reliable. Gab Marcotti is an analyst and writer for ESPN FC and a columnist at the Times of London, and he's joining us from his home in London. Hello, Gab. Hello. So gab yeah, you you know soccer much better than three people uh, in this room. when you are trying to find a stat, especially an advanced stat that you can trust in soccer, what do you turn to
1: um, there's so many bad stats out there uh, that uh, I, I try you know not to pay attention to it unless they're sort of uh, unless i 've sort of been guided through them by an analytics writer you know I, I really like and trust
2: hey gab it 's Kate. Um, I was wondering hey, kind of about the I guess the temperature over there when it came to stats for for soccer football because I know um, I did the MIT conference and a couple of its the Sloan f- conference, the Sloan conference, which is a, um, a sports analytics conference here in Boston. I did it a couple years for a couple years at the beginning, and we had panels and I moderated a panel with like the performance guys from Chelsea and and other ones from the EPL, and it seemed the energy around it was that. The stat game was way more advanced in baseball and basketball here in the states than in England. I'm wondering if it's one of those things that the the founding fathers and and mothers, excuse me, of stats are here in the U S. and it's not quite as big of a deal in England.
1: I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it, it's not it's not as big of a deal. Um, not so much, I think, because it comes from the U S. but a lot of it has to do with obviously the the nature uh, the, the nature of the game, which you know makes it harder and, and more debatable. Um, I think what you do get is uh, just about every club, or almost all clubs, have um, an, an, anal- an analytics department, um, a performance analysis guy, but they also use the term very very loosely. You know, some clubs, yeah, they, uh, they, they have a bunch of analysts, but all they really do is cut video. Um, then you have other clubs, uh, like Arsenal, for example, um, like Everton, who who do have very, very serious people. You have other clubs on top of that, and I hope that your friends from Chelsea who you met aren't listening to this, <laughs> but um, you got clubs like Chelsea and City who've got really, really smart people uh, working for them, and they churn out all this interesting stuff, but I don't think that the coaching staff, Pays any attention whatsoever to to a lot of the stuff that they produce because these are you know managers who've probably been successful in the pre-stat era and they have their own ideas.
0: Kate, it's funny you mentioned the Sloan Conference. when we when five three eight was at Sloan earlier this year. Uh, one of our writers, Carl Bialik, who's been on Hot Take Down to talk about tennis, spoke to Bayern Munich's analytics guy, and I guess there it's all fully integrated in Gab. I don't know if that that gets at what you're saying, but that they're they're trying to do away with that split and try and integrate. Um, the, the, the analytics with the actual coaching staff. So it sounds like, Gab, that, that we're seeing some of the resistance that we've seen in American sports uh, until probably three or four years ago play out in, in Premier League soccer.
1: I, 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 I saw that um, or, or heard the interview with the, with the Bayern Munich guy. I, I think there's also a level of semantics because from what I know at Bayern, they do a tremendous amount of video analysis. And it's something that Louis van Gaal has taken with them. And, and, I mean, they, they spend huge amounts in, in the equivalent of the film room, which, you know, is something that very few clubs do, or certainly to the extent that, that van Gaal did, does now at United or, or did when he was before at Bayern. My understanding is they do a lot of that stuff, and it's a lot of stuff that's geared towards, you know, again, helping the coach, answering questions, discovering trends, uh, and things like that over time, and I think, you know, that kind of stuff probably um, probably has some value and is more likely to to win over a coaching staff. Um, then there are clubs who who use analytics for scouting purposes, um, and there, you know, you get into a very different territory.
4: And, Gab, do you think that the video analysis that you spoke of uh, for a couple of teams, that though, that's kind of where you have to go for to kind of edge up toward useful statistical analysis in soccer just because uh, there are so few like scoring events and, and so few conventional stats that actually matter?
1: Um, I, I would hope not. I, part of the problem is, I mean, you guys are you – know, we should probably make a distinction here because we have event data, right? Um, and if you're really clever, you get the X and Y coordinates for it and so on. And there's a whole other batch of data, which is positional data, which a company called, and you guys might be familiar with all this, but which a company called Prozone, um, collects, uh, on, on some, in, in some stadiums, not in all stadiums. Uh, the holy grail is being able to combine those two so that we can, you know, we can talk a little bit more intelligently about, what it means about a guy making three key passes a game or wherever else because we see where he is, where the other guys are, the people he's passing to, and so on. Um, that's very difficult to do on a very, very large scale because you, know, you, 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 you basically need a guy to review the video on this and, and perhaps sometimes even make some kind of subjective call. And I think that's the real difficulty. Uh, very few clubs have all the data sets uh, that they need. Um, for example, the, the the prozone people who have the positional data, you know, it's it's extremely expensive for an independent analyst to have access to that. Now, once you're if you don't have that, um, then you know your your event driven data are still very valuable, no doubt, but it's obviously less valuable, and that's when you have to make up the ground through through video analysis. Um, so, you know, part of the problem here is that you know the the data sets aren't great the environment isn't as receptive as as it should be um hopefully we'll get there but i think there's still quite a road ahead
0: okay so if we don't have great stats to go on now let's let's broaden this and, and talk about the english the Barclays premier league uh, as it started in the last few weeks it seems as though i'm reading a lot about how this might be the deepest the league has ever been perhaps because it has more money than it's ever had is that your stance gap
1: no i actually think Last year was a was a pretty poor Premier League, um, and I don't think it's a great it's a great league this year either. Um, you know, I think you know generally for teams to perform their best, you need the right combination of players and chemistry and, and managers who've been there a while so that they can implement their ideas. And you know, you've got you know you've got a league where certainly you know Louis van Gaal United is only in his second season and has made massive changes. Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool has been there a while and has made massive changes again. Uh, at Tottenham, they've made big changes. Certainly, he's in only in the second season, and they're going to continue to make changes. Um, so, you know, the only really slightly more settled teams are Arsenal, Chelsea, and, uh, and Manchester City. And, you know, yeah, there's more money coming into the league, whether... So I, certainly, I don't think it's better at the top. It, it may be better, and I think it is actually better in terms of the way teams play and the professionalism um, in the middle of the pack. I, I think that's where the big leap, leap forward has come. Um, but at the very top, I don't know that it's on. That it's where it was three or four years ago. Uh,
2: why do you think that, considering the amount of money that's poured into that league and, and certainly the TV rights deals, it seems like if you went just by resources, it should be, be more competitive on the international level? I mean, do you have a pet theory at all about why?
1: Yeah, so I think um, on the, well, while obviously transfer spending and especially weight spending um, correlates to, to, to performance. I mean, I think it's kind of it's been proven um, over time. If your benchmark is the European game, you're not really talking about the middle of the pack, which is which is where really most teams have benefited because you know those teams don't play in the um, in the Europa League. Um, so, so I think you know that's the first thing to say. So you're really only talking about how you know the top four or, or six English clubs do against the other you know some of the other best clubs in Europe. Um, and if you're looking again at money, there they can't outspend. And they don't really outspend, in terms of wages, the likes of Bayern or, or, or Barcelona or, um, or, or Real Madrid. Um, that gap isn't there with the European super clubs. So I think that's one ingredient why it's dangerous, I think, to overstate um, the importance of, of this money flowing into the league. Um, I also think that there are many inefficiencies in the league. And I also think, and, you know, I, mean, I think perception... Um, I think factors like perception, who the agent is, who the intermediary is, um, really is what often influences uh, things like wages and transfer prices. You know, this is like American leagues where you have a closed system and it's very, very easy to compare. Um, I, I think there's so many inefficiencies in the transfer market. And, you know, what generally tends to happen is if I have more money, I get charged more money. You know, it's, uh, it's a perfect example of of differential um, pricing, I think, in, in, in many ways.
0: So, Gab, one more question for you. This is on the show, Hot Takedown. We talk about the hot takes, the uninformed opinions of of the week. And in my research for this, it seemed as though there were a hell of a lot coming out on Chelsea, who have gotten demolished in their first two games. Um, are the hot takes founded that Chelsea is in trouble? Chelsea, of course, won the, won the tables last year.
1: All right, I, I'm going to try to... To, to to put a slight analytical bent then uh, on uh, on some of the thinking about why Chelsea might be in trouble. Um, so whereas most Premier League clubs use sort of a full complement of 22, 23 players, and they're quite deep and they rotate to some degree. Uh, last season, Chelsea, I think effectively, and uh, you guys can go and. And double check the stat if you like, but it's something absurd, like I think thirteen players played something like more than or or, or something like i think is it's sorry it's like ten players played more than seventy five percent of Chelsea's minutes in the league, they hardly rotated, they hardly suffered injuries um we just play the same guys over and over again, um which is very unusual for for a team that you know gets to the knockout stage of the Champions League. you look at it this year and his squad isn't any bigger. Um, that they, they have other guys sort of rounding out the roster, but they're just that, they're guys, they're bodies. Uh, at least that's how he treats them because the manager hardly ever plays these guys. So in that situation, you know, you wonder, okay, so it's the manager's choice. So you put your trust in the manager. He's doing the right thing. He's obviously a very successful manager. So he obviously believes that his guys can get away with it um, and, you know, aren't going to get injured or suffer as a result or, or whatever. Um, but I think the reality is that it's never really been done in the modern era to be successful with such a small squad um, and, and to stay largely injury-free all season. So I think for that reason, there might be some credence to the idea that you know Chelsea are actually in a little bit of trouble, or rather they won't romp to the title the way they did last year.
0: Right, and as our colleague at Grantland, Mike Goodman, pointed out, Manchester City led in most of the stats last year, so Chelsea had a, had a, bit, of a bit of a charmed year that maybe it'll struggle to, to repeat this year.
1: Uh, yeah, you don't want to let Mourinho hear you say that. <laughs> he'll come like after me. It. It be, he'll bench me. He, I hope he, he listens to the Hot Take Down. To do that. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right, Gab, thanks for joining us. Listeners, you can read all of Gab Marcotti's coverage at ESPN FC.
1: Pleasure all mine. Have a good one.
0: Okay, let's now turn to the NFL. We're starting this year. Players are going to have little chips, bottle cap-sized chips, implanted beneath their shoulder pads. So not in their skin. Not in their skin. Not yet.
2: That's 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 in 10 years.
0: Yeah, hot takedown 10th anniversary (laughs) season. We'll be talking about that. So they're going to be implanted into the shoulder pads. And as the players move around the field, they're going to be tracked as they do it. We've seen a little bit of this with StatCast. I think we talked about that a uh, a, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Um, And this is the NFL's version of that. And one piece I read had our hot take for this segment, which was a quote, This is the start of something beautiful. And let's watch a video of what that beauty looks like. Okay, Neil, what are we looking at?
4: So after the ad for Xbox uh, clears out, we're going to see all the players on the field be represented by these moving circles that show almost like uh, contrails behind them when they make movements.
2: I've actually detected an error here. Go, Why go isn't there a chip in the ball? <laughs>
4: <laughs> because did there's no ball, the ball visible. No, we just we,
2: saw we, we a wide receiver know?
0: run with a cornerback down the sideline and maybe the ball went
2: do we where? We don't know if it was a running player. There or are some at, yellow assume? squares.
0: Maybe the yellow is... The active ball players or something. Mm. See quarterback, receiver. Yeah, they might highlight okay. the people there might be a chart that. Are involved. Yeah, that everybody. That involved I mean. But but to but, your point, Kate, a ball seems important to football.
2: Highlight and let us know. Yeah. I want to see it flying through the air or being held by a running back. So well, that changes everything.
0: So yeah, you feel Kate like you're never going to watch football <sighs> the same way again. Mind blown. So guys. I was underwhelmed. Sounds like Kate was underwhelmed. Neil, did you see any purpose to this next-gen data analytic tract
4: future of football presentation <laughs> visualization? I think this presentation might be a little limited in its use I think uh, for someone like me especially the the proof is going to be in the data that they actually extract from having the chips and making all of the you know the the uh, measurements per second or, or what have you and kind of knowing where everyone is on the field that's something that hasn't been done before and and knowing their speed you know a player how a player makes cuts how you know how efficiently a receiver is is shaping his roots I think that's pretty valuable from a coaching standpoint
2: yeah I have to think that the way that we deconstructed all of the added data for baseball has to be applicable with this data for football and basketball
4: think about sport vu uh and and camera track yeah i
2: mean there's there is although visually speaking it's not as stunning as you would like yet and do i think it changes anything about the game we're going to see in the next year or two no but long term i guess if you do have a sense of where guys are most explosive on the field that would be really interesting to see which guys are covering the most ground because I know it said even like now running backs, we measure their yard, yards gained. We don't really as much keep track of all the yards they're running, just the yards Because gain. of the horizontal movement. Yeah, all the horizontal movement. And so we, you kind of have the idea, well, wide receivers are covering the most territory. So some of that stuff would be interesting to see, but it, I don't see yet how it will change the game in the short term.
4: I think theoretically you could even do things where you crunch all these numbers and figure out like the probability of a certain player. You know what what is the effective zone that say a cornerback can cover on the field, and perhaps for someone like Darrell Rivas, it's huge, and you can kind of show that visually and have this like large heat map space uh, where he can cover. But for someone who's worse, it would be smaller, and so you can almost maybe figure out holes in zones, holes in the defense where you can pick apart a defense, or uh, in the running game. Maybe even figure out like how much when a when a blocker is engaged with a defender, you know, where the most optimal place to run behind that is or, or if a running back was really picking the most optimal hole. So there are things that down the road I think they can do with this. Neil, data. I expect that copy on my desk yeah, by right. next week because that sounds
0: really interesting. For me, the trick with this is that what we just watched, that little Xbox promo, because these the, the, the motions that are available because of this tracking are going to be available only through Microsoft products. What we just watched was so underwhelming, but it's it's a symptom, I think, that the leagues, not just the NFL but major league baseball with statcast, statcast uh, the NBA with Sports View, what we've seen is that the leagues know that data is super important for their future. But data is only available for the really obsessive uh, data crunchers like Neil and sort of you and me, Kate, but not you know we're more consumers than we are mm-hmm. practitioners. And and so they have all this back-end work that they're doing, and they feel like they have to present it to the casual fan somehow. And that's where you see the comet trails behind a baseball in Statcast, and that's where you see this weird, like almost electric football yeah, um, like uh, representation yeah. where there's no there's no friction on the field. They were like the, the, the little skating circles, around. yeah, were skating around with trails behind them. There was no sense of impact or or crunch of bodies or anything that makes football really attractive and so it it, there seems to be to me um something it's not quite attention but just like there are two worlds operating apart from one another one is the casual fan and one is the hardcore data person and because the latter is now being catered to Mm -hmm. how do you make use of what you're doing for them for the former for the casual fan
2: yeah that's really interesting because i think people who are continually immersed in data maybe they've and Neil, you can answer this maybe you've gotten to a place where you can sort of fill in the human body as you're seeing certain things happening in your own mind because you you've maybe watched a lot of the stat cast in baseball and, and some of this stuff you can sort of s- superimpose the idea of the game onto it I don't know that the casual fan has any concept of doing that whatsoever that to me would bore the casual fan. But I don't know if mentally is that a process that you go through when you're when you're looking at data?
4: Not when I'm looking at that. I right. mean I think that is like you said Chad almost more for like the whiz bang factor of, hey, look what we can do now, you know, please pay us Ten dollars a month or whatever during the season
0: we should say let me interrupt real quick, Neil that I think eventually the plan is to have some of these trails and whatnot superimposed on top of a live right. action feed so they it won't always be, be these yeah. you can't even call them avatars these yeah. these uh, two-dimensional representations of athletes.
4: Yeah, and you see a lot of those even in the NBA, like in the coverage that they've done and and especially like uh, shows, you know, the studio shows where they have time to actually process video where they'll actually show like something very interesting of like Kyle Korver, you know, coming off a pick or, or, or what have you and show exactly where he was, where he received the ball, the proximity of defenders. And this is all in basketball. Theoretically, I mean, it's the same thing that you could show in an NFL telecast, especially depending on how real time they can get this stuff to the actual broadcast.
2: Well, the one thing I would ask is if they have the capability to even to track, like put chips in the shoulder blade and show us this information, there seem to be some more simple things in the game of football that they have yet to take that kind of action with. Like, why don't they have a chip in the ball that tells us where to spot it? (laughs) I mean, there are certain levels of the game of football that you would think they could apply some of this technology. Like, why are we relying on the ref's eye spotting the ball? If this where, stuff is right. so important to well, us, We know now
0: in baseball is we can actually see where the strike zone is and where baseball comes. That's because of cameras. Yeah. And so to your point, I mean, they are I'm sure they would say that to put it into the ball is to, uh, is to affect the flight of the ball. Yeah, because we wouldn't oh, want anything to, to, to tamper tomorrow. with a
2: football at all. Maybe yeah. <laughs> It could be a long you know, series oh. of ESPN <laughs> shows on that. But the chip has got to be negligible in weight. I guess I would make a parallel to like there seems to be some pull to like – Keeping the purity of like refereeing and umpiring the human element, and yet, as much of this advanced, almost robotic that we can put in. We also want it. But we're constantly in this push-pull because we don't want, and we saw this in baseball like a month ago when it, like a minor league game used an automated... Robo-ump. Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants that, so there's a lot of push against that, and yet we want as much Well, I think data. a lot of... The I wouldn't
4: say three three no really one that. wants Lots that of necessarily.
0: People, right. A lot of people want robo-umps because they think, why are we leaving, and we're going to run a piece uh, on 538 about this this week, actually. Umpires who start good tend to remain good and umpires who start not as good tend to remain not as good. And so while accuracy is going up um, for, for uh, umpires overall, it's going up on strikes and less so on balls. And, and I think it was something like 10 calls a game go, Mis- go mistaken. And mm-hmm. so that's an extra pitch for a pitcher to strike somebody out, or it's an extra pitch for a batter to hit out, out of the park. And so w- if we do have the tracking, then it feels like what we should do is let the rules be decided on it. This, to me, is, is a little different. This is about this, this NFL RFID chip. This is about spatial data. And that, to me, has been the next wave of analytics for, for a while now. And that, you know, base- in baseball, space doesn't matter as much but but we've had in all sports we had top line stats and we had say, metric-y stats analytics stats that could crunch the numbers better and tell you efficiency and value a little better space is something that we haven't really had numbers for before and with sports view and with this nfl stuff we're beginning to get those numbers so you can see Darrell revis's uh, how big Darrell revis's island big actually the island is
4: yeah and uh, think about what the applications of this are they're really for like coaching like we talked about and for broadcast presentation who are the Two people that really have a, a motivation to try to you know up their game. This is replacing the telestrator, the John Madden. You know, boom, there's you know where the where the guy went on this play. Now you don't actually have to rely on John Madden to draw that on the screen. You have theoretically, if you subscribe to this Xbox service, you have those trails of where the player went. And also from a coaching sp- perspective, you can figure out you know is my are my linebackers playing close enough to the line? Are they spaced out properly when they're in, supposed to be in this formation? or that formation, like, you can do stuff with this data that I think will help your team win. And if you're a broadcaster, it'll help you kind of engage the audience in at least a visually interesting way. But some of those things might be well into the future.
2: Yeah, I think it, it's about who's going to consume the data and how it's presented in an in-game format because there is an element of removing just watching a game, mm-hmm. which there is an entertainment sort of value of just watching with your own eyes processing and you don't always want to know that you're wrong because like even when we did John Starks last week I didn't even Mm -hmm. want the advanced data on some levels because I just wanted to have watched John Starks and have my own memory and I didn't even want to know that like hey guess what his true shooting percentage Mm -hmm. was terrible and certain things were terrible and he actually in, to, in some elements was a below average player Like I didn't want that okay, information but you're,
0: you're reminding me of that guy that Nate Silver Talked to on Hot Takedown right. a few months ago Steve um, Ketman Who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about why Sabermetrics were ruining the experience of watching Baseball mm-hmm. because now there was if not a second screen activity, then like a, a second spreadsheet activity or something, where your attention. He was claiming that that the purity of the game was being sacrificed, and the rebuttal from the 538 types is right. basically like the game has always had stats, and to and to use stats better is actually to understand baseball better. But it gets to me at this tension between whether sports is entertainment is for entertainment or for analysis and business. knowledge gathering and business. Yeah.
4: right? And I think it can be both like Kate uh, you know would you watch an NFL game now without the yellow first down marker like we've come to sort of appreciate that so much and that was something that came out of sort of the same strain of technology being used in inventive ways for the broadcast and then you know some of similar technology can be used to, to help teams get better. Even
2: Well and I think it's also sort of like when, when people comment on like ESPN articles and they're like why is this even posted and everybody's like well why did you come down here and comment and I make that parallel because (laughs) it's like if you want the data go get it you could just still watch the game I'm assuming right I mean some of this data you don't have to hunt down but I do think there will be a conflict at some point and maybe it'll be a natural progression or maybe it won't maybe it will be like 20 30 years from now we're sort of like we're actually viewing and processing our games differently and there is a little bit more business analytic mentality that we just automatically see it so through. i do
0: think kate that in 23 years you're going to be an old fogey about this because i think <laughs> what i see when i watch that and with the yellow first downline whatever else is the increasing video game video gamization of sports on tv and what i find really interesting is that if you're not someone who plays sports video games for example mm-hmm. then this must be such a weird and alienating way of thinking about the game to have, to think about the players with, with heat trails. I mean, we saw this in the 90s when Fox put a, a, Fox chip, in, yeah, a chip in the puck during uh, during hockey games oh, and right. you could see and the, yeah. the the chip would run out of batteries and so the blue trail would slowly dim on, <laughs> on the telecast. But like, we've constantly been trying to augment and put a, another layer on top of what we see and we see that with the first down line now and I think we're going to see that soon enough and it just reminds me more and more of what it looks like on video and
2: games. And I didn't play Video sports video games, and I haven't in 20 years. I played when I was like eight.
4: Well, I think to your point, Chad, that the, the audience is ultimately the arbiters. And maybe the fact that there's so many fractured audiences makes this kind of irrelevant. Like, compared to, you mentioned the Fox Tracks puck, that was something where there was a lot of outcry from traditionalists to the point that they ditched it because it just didn't add what they thought it was going to add and actually subtracted. It didn't put things on the table. It took them off, to, uh, to use a Bill Simmons uh, term. And I think in the case of the first down line, it adds a lot and doesn't really take that much away. Uh, and, and it tells us something that I think isn't immediately intuitive or you had to kind of at least work for the information um, in the past when you're watching I'm going to steal the
0: last word for myself here. The 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 interesting question to me is whether it's the audience who's actually deciding, as you say, or if audience is just fragment. And so I'm seeing weird things on SportsCenter that I, even as a late millennial, I guess – Find Odd, which is Snapchat segments, which I, I like, cannot fathom how Snapchat is on SportsCenter. I don't know how, yes. And so, to me, that alienates me as an audience member, right? But for some kid who's a sophomore right now, that makes SportsCenter feel even more vital and fresh. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this is going to make – this RFID, um, the players with with heat trails behind them are going to make NFL broadcasts feel vital and fresh. And, guys, they're the ones that the broadcasters care about. It's not us because they're the next generation. Anyway – uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to come back in, for, in 10 years, as we said, and have mm-hmm. our 10th anniversary uh, discussion. We've got a few things we'll have to touch on. Then, yeah, I just think. a few. Yeah, just cool. a few. Okay, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, stay tuned for Significant Digits. For those of you who are watching on video, thanks for watching. You can subscribe to Hot Takedown on iTunes. Uh, you can find us there in the iTunes store. And now let's move on to significant digit when we uh, tell you a number in the sports news that tells you something larger than just the number. And back in the studio, almost as if she has never left, Allison McCann, visual journalist at 538. Hello, Allison.
3: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me again.
0: What have you brought us this week?
3: Uh, This is a significant digit that is probably, you know, more near and dear to one of our members. (laughs) This week's significant digit comes to us from Neil Payne, his story on Jordan Spieth uh, yesterday, and the digit is fourth, which says that even though Jordan lost on Sunday, uh, his 2015 season ranks fourth overall since 1958. Uh, He's up there, you know, behind some of the greats, uh, Tiger Woods, don't know if you've heard of him. Um, so Tiger has those first three spots, but Jordan's 2015 season is the fourth best. Uh, can we? Where
2: does Tiger's 2015 season <laughs> rank? Uh, I
4: don't even think that was on your list. It did not make the table because you had to at least qualify for the top five in a major once. That's which a little brutal.
2: Not, you don't uh, need to take that kind of shot at Tiger.
4: So wait, so, so the best seasons ever, Tiger has all three, and Spieth is the first to really interrupt that? right uh, when you when you look at it this particular way that sh- uh, you know kind of gives a player credit for where they finished in the tournaments and how dominant they were relative to the field uh, adjusting their score uh, and then you can also make an adjustment to it in which he ranks 11th depending on whether you want to say that you should get more or less credit for being like a great loser uh, you know to to use a backhanded compliment like if you played a really good tournament but didn't win it then you can still get Credit for that in a in a certain sense, uh, according to the metric that I use, and that's how he ranked fourth.
2: Well, you definitely should, right? I mean, in golf, you would think that you would want to add in also the tournaments when you ranked very high but didn't win.
4: Right. Yeah. But I think a, a lot of conventional, you know, looks at, at how well a player played just asked, you know, did you get the W or the L? You know. <laughs>
2: did you have the will
3: to win?
4: Did you have the will to win? Exactly. So this
3: is what I was saying before. I like that Neil gives you options. You know, fourth or eleventh. Pick your digit right. this week. Transparency
2: Transparency. Do what feels
4: good
0: Neil, you're fourth, not eleventh in my book Oh, thank you, Chad Okay, Allison, thanks, as always, for bringing us our significant digit
3: Thanks for having me
0: And that'll do it for this week's show Kate Fagan, thanks for joining us Thanks, Chad Neil Payne, thanks for joining us Thanks, Chad Our podcast producer is Jody Avergan You can listen to his new podcast, What's the Point, on iTunes It's conversations around data, how it's affecting our lives, society, etc Our video producer is Ryan Mantell. We get production help from Jordan Shulkin. We're on iTunes, of course. Uh, You can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. We're also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Downcast, all sorts of other apps. You can email us at podcasts at 538.com. New email, new email listeners. Make sure to update your address books. Uh, Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you next time. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome.
1: Touchdown!
0: Coverage begins
1: at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio.